The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright, the power to create a happier, healthier life drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected, a place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful Southern California. Oh, Boy, we've got an exceptional show for you tonight. And our guest is one of Dr. Wayne Dyer's personal cardiologist and friend, Dr. Terry Gordon. Just wait till you hear uh, the story about how Dr. Gordon met Wayne Dyer and even Kenny Loggins. I think you're going to love it. But on top of all this, you're going to be as mesmerized as I was doing the show. Terry is an absolutely incredible person who is very spiritual, and he has a great lesson for us all. I know you're going to enjoy it immensely. Now, are you feeling a bit of confusion in the atmosphere? (laughs) These are exciting times, aren't they? Right now, we're in the midst of the most historical election campaign that has totally divided America. And the media is completely one-sided, as is the Internet. Everyone has their favorites, and everyone believes that they have chosen the right candidate. And then here comes WikiLeaks giving us really incredible, vital information as to what is really happening. As we are just discovering through the latest leaks that the president is selected and not elected. Truthfully, the elections are designed to just give us the illusion that our voices count. What makes this so exciting is that all of these revelations are coming out into our consciousness. Now, since December 2012, these so-called leaks of the true reality have been coming to the forefront. What will be registered in our history is that the year 2016 is the year of awakening. The tipping point has occurred Even the movie series, The Hunger Games, depict what is going on in the world politically today. The universe is delivering to us what we have always wanted to know for years. Matter of fact, for the last 50 years, the universe is giving us these messages. It is delivering the answers as to why things are happening the way they are happening right now. Do you see that we have now created the information flowing to us, telling us exactly what is going on? This is how powerful we are. We did it. It's so wonderful. We are right now experiencing the law of attraction and all of the universal laws right now the elites are losing their grips because we know what's going on and now we can put them out of business as we take our creative powers back now is the time to visualize a great future ahead of all of us all of the world Every country of the world, now is the time. It's time to fully believe that you and I are so powerful that we can change the situation. It truly is the belief of black that gives the power to the elite. Right now, in this time of history, we must Feed the power of the collective consciousness to release the grip of the elite, which doesn't exist except in the minds of those who don't know how powerful they truly are. So ask yourself, are you stuck in the slave mentality of lack? 
Are you stuck in the worry about your bills, about your rent, about your children's clothes, uh, your health, or putting enough food on the table, or gas in the tank? Well, now it's time to change. And actually, if you really are wanting to change your future, now is the perfect time to change your belief from lack to abundance simply because the collective consciousness is at the tipping point to personal well-being, happiness, and success. The collective consciousness is now in our favor because the illusion of deception has been unveiled. Yes, that's pretty wonderful. That is incredible. That is the law of attraction in action. So let's talk again about how you can take advantage of this most incredible time in history. Here are 10 easy steps to keep you, your family, your friends, and the world moving forward. Number one, Continue to monitor your thoughts, your words, your desires. Remove the word can't or won't or not or impossible or never or should out of your vocabulary. Number two, use the words I am before you desire anything. I am magnificent. I am powerful. I am a master creator. I am abundant. I am prosperous in every area of my life. I am a sovereign citizen. I am free to be me. I am kind. I am loving. I am free of judgment. I am healthy, wealthy, and I am successful in every area of my life. I am the master of my life. I am the master of my life. I am free of all shackles. I am free. Oh, yes, I am free. Number three, take full responsibility of your life and actions. That allows you to be free of the victim mentality that robs you of your power. When you blame others, you strip your power away from yourself. Number four, watch for signs from the universe. After all, the universe is your mirror into yourself and your beliefs. Use these signs to build your personal power. Five, keep up positive attitude. Know that if the election did not turn out the way you wanted it to, know that there's a perfect reason for it. In time, the shift of correction will occur. Number six, stay aware. Do not discount new information coming out. Allow it to flow into the collective consciousness. Don't be upset. Don't be angry. Just be amazed that this information is finally being unveiled. Seven, continue to enjoy the perfect moments in life in complete gratitude. Look at the sunset, the ocean, feel the breeze, see the smile of your child, receive a hug from a friend. Know that you are part of the beautiful picture called life. And every day, there are perfect moments that will bring you back into the feeling of gratitude. Eight, when things get tough, just surrender and let the universe take over. Get out of the way and let the universe take over. Nine, always allow yourself to release limiting thought forms from sadness, grief, and lack to visualizing a future of abundance, prosperity, and happiness. Act as if it's already happened. 10. Know that you are a spiritual being contributing to the collective consciousness. Be aware of things that you don't like and then focus on the things you do like. Don't ignore reality, 
but change it through the power of thought, love, and happiness. Never, ever, ever forget how powerful you truly are. You are a magnificent being who came here to experience what is occurring in history right now. We're all going to be fine. We're going to be better than ever. No matter what turns out with the elections, that doesn't matter. The truth begins and ends within us. We are all free to be who we came here to be. Now, I also want to mention that back in 2007, when The Secret came out, this knowledge was intended for the individual to discover their personal power in which to create material things. This was perfect for the time. And many in the law of attraction field are still referring to the importance of the individual power. Today, I feel the law of attraction has evolved significantly. It's not so much about the individual discovering their personal power because we have evolved from that. Today, it's more about the collective consciousness. We simply had to learn the power on an individual basis to effectively make a change in the consciousness. The collective consciousness is about creating the well-being globally. So this means that we have all evolved into the fourth, fifth, or sixth dimension. Yes, it's true that there are still many out there who do not realize their own personal power and who still feel that they're enslaved or feel like they're victims. But because you and I have already done the work, we are now influencing the collective consciousness in brilliant new ways. Do you see how it all comes together in just 10 years? Oh my gosh, it's absolutely amazing. We have contributed to the greater good of humanity in just 10 short years. That's more than what has occurred collectively in the last 25,000 years. That's what's amazing. We did it. We are evolving into brand new ways. We have evolved into realizing the power that exist and that we are all one we are all connected and that it's truly to the benefit of the world to combine our collective power together in which to create a glorious future for every human living thing on the planet these things you can do and more which will easily shift us into the golden age of abundance. That's what started in 2012, and we have 2,000 more years to get it right. But from what I'm seeing and what is occurring right now is happening at record speed. We are in the golden age right now. We are simply overturning the power that was once stolen from us to return back to us. Oh my gosh. It is such a great time to be alive, aware and living in gratitude. Wow. So with that, let's take a fast break and we'll be right back after these words. It's here. It's hot. And it's a must read. It's the science behind the Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net. That's lawofattractionmagazine.net. In this world of turmoil, you're struggling to find energetic balance, and you panic because your spirituality is not where you desire it to be. Yet creating a powerful foundation of empowerment is what you know you can achieve. 
Hi, I am Martin Neil Campbell, author of the book Receiving the Gift We Give, which is available on Amazon eBooks and my website, receivingthegiftwegive.com. I invite you to uncover your power and greatly expand your energies by embracing your divine self. Well, welcome, Dr. Terry Gordon to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. It's so nice to be here, and my name is not Doctor, it's Terry. Yes, sir, Terry. It's not sir either, sir. <laughs> it's just that I am so delighted to meet you. I I just feel like I've known you for forever, and you have such a tremendous heart. So I just want to recap a little bit of your history to give everyone a jump start as to who you are, because they're going to fall in love with you just as I have. You started way back when with a degree in psychology and then became a medical doctor and then a cardiologist, and you won the National Physician uh, of the Year Award from the American Heart Association in 2002 because of your focus to place automatic external defibrillators AEDs in every junior high school and high school due to a tragic death of a 15 year old football player and because of you you assisted in raising all these funds over 2200 AEDs were placed in schools throughout the state of Ohio I mean my goodness that is incredible well, it, it was a mission that I set out upon uh, when I viewed the video of Josh Miller's last few moments. Um, it was at a Friday night football game, and uh, he collapsed and in front of his teammates and in front of his friends, and sadly, in front of his uh, parents, uh, Josh died. Um, mm. He died of a cardiac arrest, and kids aren't supposed to do that. Right. And you know, it was the most sickening thing watching because it was like a movie I had seen a thousand times and I knew exactly how it was going to end and, and sadly it did. Mm. You, it, in that normally boisterous stadium, you could hear a pin drop except for the wail of his mother. And, and that sound continues to this day to reverberate in my soul. Oh. And I was uh, then the president of the local chapter of the American Heart Association and I vowed that wasn't going to happen again. And uh, came up with this plan um, to place AEDs, defibrillators, uh, in every junior and high school in our community. And we did so, becoming the first county of its size in the nation to do that. And, and once we did that, and we, we trained, um, in that scenario, we trained 12 individuals um, in the use of the AED and CPR and aligned them with the local paramedics. And then I started thinking, well, wait, we, we've done this in our community. What about the next county over? Where they haven't had a cardiac arrest in a kid. And so I came up with this crazy idea and we were able to get a grant, actually two grants from the state of Ohio, each of which was two and a half million dollars. And we became the first state in the, in the country to place an AED in just about every school, public, private, parochial, charter, K through 12, oh. trained uh, them in the use of the AEDs and CPR. And we aligned them with the local paramedics and 911 service so that when the frantic call came in to the 911 service, the operator would say, there's an AED hanging on the wall right behind you. Go get it. And, and we've had um, over 20 saves, the last of which was uh, just one week ago. It was a parent uh, who was at um, one of the schools where we placed an AED. So um, it's just been this mission um, of saving lives of our most precious resource, our children. Wow. Wow. Serving humanity. I love it. I love it. I also noticed uh, that you're an incredibly spiritual person, as you've indicated in your article in the Law of Attraction magazine, and you're a believer in the power of the mind, which can either betray you or befriend you. But really, something that grabbed my attention was that short video in which Wayne Dyer introduced you and in which you told the story about your daughter and it was the most profound story I've ever heard and I actually gasped when I heard the most powerful statement about life's trauma so Terry would you retell that incredible story I would I was uh, this was in 2009 it was June 29th 
and I was up in my office uh, doing a little work, and my daughter, Maddie Rose, who uh, was teaching in Chicago, had come in for the weekend, and and she walked into my office, and, and you know, it's it's a parent's sixth sense when you just can tell something's mm-hmm. not quite right, and, and I could just see the sadness dripping from her, and uh, I said, what's up, honey, and she came around my desk and plopped herself down at my feet and put her arms up on my knees, and she said, you know, Dad, I always thought that the older I became, the more control I assumed over my life, the easier life would become. And then with this heavy sigh and a single tear trickling down her cheek, she said, you know, it's just not working out that way. And and I pulled her up into my arms and I rocked her as I had for 27 some odd years. And, and I, I thought and paused for a very long time because I knew what I was about to say to her would be very important. And I said, you know, darling, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. If we are to progress, if we're to grow spiritually, if we're to get closer to enlightenment, we must face greater and greater obstacles. And it's only by overcoming those obstacles that we're able to achieve that higher level. And and I, I shared with her that my belief is that everything's in perfect order. And that uh, that and I left her with this this thought after sharing with her um, a statement from the Kabbalah, which is the ancient mystical text of Judaism. And in the Kabbalah, it says, it's the falls of our life that provide us the energy to propel us onto a higher path, the falls of our life. And then I kissed her on the forehead and I left her with one final thought that night. And I said, you know, honey, we really should be grateful for the crap that comes our way. Mm-hmm. The next morning at 640, I received one of the worst phone calls a parent could get. The gray voice on the other end of the line informed me that our son Tyler, who was in school out in Durango, Colorado, had been involved in a single car accident. He had flipped his car over and over, and then came the dreaded words, your son is quadriplegic. Mm. Yeah, you know, Jules, you can't, you can't imagine. You know, as, as parents, we fret and we worry when our kids aren't home when they're supposed to be or when they come home in a condition they're not we're not particularly proud of, but you can't imagine the impact of those words when you really hear them. I had about 20 seconds of denial. Um, and then the doctor and me kicked in. I knew exactly where we were going. He, he was, uh, the preparations had already been made to life light him from Durango, Colorado, where he was, to Denver, Colorado, where he would undergo emergency surgery to stabilize his neck. He, he had shattered his neck in the accident. Oh, wow. So within, oh, an hour or so, I had hastily packed a bag and bolted from the house and was speeding up to the Cleveland airport, trying to get on an overbooked nonstop flight that would get me there in time. And it was on the way up to the airport that it hit me that I had left my wife wailing. My, my, I, I don't remember seeing my wife cry, maybe once or twice, and I made her do that. I'm a baby. I, I cried the, the drop of a hat, but I, it, I felt so terrible as I was speeding up to the airport. How could I ignore the most important person in my life? But she knew what I was doing, that I needed to get to the airport. And I got up there to find that there were seven people ahead of me on the wait list. And I, I don't know how, but somehow I got on that flight. Wow. And I was placed um, in a window uh, seat. And I was now like a caged cat. You know, I was incommunicado for three hours. I didn't know if Tyler was alive, dead, brain damaged, bleeding out from internal internal injuries or what. And it, it just was the darkest moment of my life, Jules. Um, I, I, the, the thoughts were pounding inside my head so hard, it was excruciatingly painful. And I felt like I was in this tornado. Mm-hmm. And it was loud, and it was whooshing, and it was dark, and it was dank, and it was just frightening. And I looked down the funnel of this tornado, and it was just pure blackness. And I remember saying to myself over and over again, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. And gradually, that loud whooshing sound began to abate. And the dankness and the darkness began going away. And But I still was saying... I can't do this. I can't do this. And I won't tell you that I heard the voice of God, but I heard the words from deep within when God said, yes, you can. And I said, but I don't know how to do this. And God said, Terry, just last night, 
you shared your truth with your daughter. You can talk the talk, but now you're going to have to live it. And I said, but, but how? I don't have the tools to do this. And God said, everything's in perfect order, Terry, even this. And then the most profound thing was shared with me when God said, treat this as if it was something you had chosen. Now, why would I do that? Why would I choose such a horrific injury on my son? Why, what possible good could come from such a life-altering calamity? What lessons could there possibly be hidden within such turmoil? Now, and I'm not going to tell you this happened right away, but it started at that moment. There was a shift in my consciousness. You know, there are many who believe that we actually choose what it is we are to experience in a particular lifetime. Mm -hmm. And that choice is based on what our spiritual development requires in order to continue on its progressive course. So as I began navigating this storm in our lives, the challenge for me, quite frankly, became adjusting my perception enough of these events to recognize the presence of God within them. And in order to do that, Jules, I had to take my mind way, way, way beyond what I had previously judged as good or bad. I came to an appreciation, <clears throat> excuse me, I came to an appreciation that to accept this adversity as a gift from the divine. Now, it didn't come in the most beautifully wrapped package. In fact, these gifts can appear so disgustingly hideous that it's nearly impossible to figure out how it could ever be of benefit. But along the way, as the dust settled, I came to appreciate that this realm in which we live, this human experience, is the perfect circumstance in which we can approach what I think it is we are all seeking, and that is insight. Mm -hmm. You know, crap happens. None of us is going to be immune to it. None of us are going to be immune to the pain and the turmoil of this existence. But, but life is balanced, not only with those things that cause us to suffer, but it's beautifully coupled with those things that bring us pleasure as well. And because of that, we're not overly burdened with the negative aspect of these experiences. And the question that was answered for me is... Are there really such things as negative experiences? I don't think so. These so-called negative experiences can actually be a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. They can become catalysts for change, fodder for growth. What we have to do, quite frankly, though, we have to free ourselves of the attachment to the good experiences and of the aversions to the negative ones. Because in truth, they're the same. There's no duality. You know, we, we often think in terms of duality. There's hot, there's cold, there's good, there's bad, there's high, there's low. They're really one and the same. It's like a pendulum. You know, you, you can't know love unless you've experienced hate. Right. So we need to maintain that equilibrium uh, in our lives. I, I had the experience that really brought this home to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. We had been in Durant, uh, in, um, um, Denver for about a week and it was a terrible week. I mean, Tyler almost died two or three times and it's just, you know, we were just trying to get settled into our, our new life. And we, we were staying in an apartment juxtaposed to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And one morning I awoke and when I opened my eyes, there was a, a, a tiny crack in the curtains and the sun was streaming in through the curtains through the glass and projecting little prisms all over the ceiling and the walls. And when I opened my eyes, that's what I saw. And I remember my first thought was, oh, thank you, God. What a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you. And then suddenly it hit me where I was and what we were doing. And I felt so guilty because I had actually enjoyed something when my son couldn't. I had enjoyed something when my wife couldn't see the brightness. And quite frankly, I hadn't seen the brightness. And then it hit me. 
Why shouldn't I enjoy the beautiful day? It's there. It's, it's like a little puppy dog that's just sitting right by your side, just waiting to be noticed. And, and, and it started me thinking about finding the beauty in the belly of the beast, because the beauty abounds. It's right there. It's just a matter of what you're going to place your focus on. So we have a choice. And the choices are either you become a victim, you say, why me? You lick your wounds and suffer. Or you accept the gift from God and you learn from it and you take everything you can from it. And because of that, it is not a tragedy that has occurred. It's a gift. The tragedy, quite frankly, is in experiencing something like this and not learning something from it. So if you can learn even one little thing from a bad experience, it is no longer a bad experience. You know, you mentioned Wayne. Right. Uh, I had um, a patient of mine who um, uh, kind of called me on it. I walked into his room one day and uh, and he said, uh, you, Dr. Gordon, and he had never met me before and I'd never met him. He said, you know, you're killing yourself. And I said, I, I beg your pardon. And he said, well, you've got this great energy around you, but it's all fractured, man. You better do something about it or something very bad is going to happen. And he suggested a couple of things to me. He suggested that uh, I read a couple of Wayne's books and he suggested that I learn how to meditate. And I had dabbled with uh, transcendental meditation back in the seventies, but you know, I didn't need that stuff. I'm, I'm in control, you know, <laughs> but I did read a couple of Wayne's books and they really resonated with me. It was uh, real magic and inspiration. Mm. And I tried to call him. <clears throat> And uh, his secretary answered the phone, and I said, <clears throat> this is Dr. Gordon. I'd like to speak with Dr. Dyer, please. Well, she could have cared less, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, you know, I even gave him the 800 number to the hospital so he wouldn't have to waste a dime to call me back, and, you know, he never called back. So um, this was actually the, the, in 2002, uh, right before I went to Dallas to get that award, I took uh, the family to Hawaii. And my wife, Angela, had developed shingles about a day or two before we left. Oh. And it was, I don't know how she made it out there. She was so sick. And we got out there and she couldn't get out of bed. And I'm, I'm one morning, you know, kind of walking out on the beach. I tried to meditate and just couldn't get in the mood. And I'm coming back to the uh, hotel and I'm kind of kicking the sand, feeling sorry for myself. And Jules, guess who I bumped into on the beach? Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer. <laughs> and, and, and I walked up to him and I said, man, you know, I know you're on vacation. I didn't know he lived there. I said, I know you're on vacation and I don't want to bother you, but I really have to thank you for saving my life. And he said, really? Tell me about it. Now, for 20 minutes, I was the most important person to this guru. Oh, wow. And so we got to talking and somehow it came out that I was a cardiologist and he had just had a stent place. So we had even more to talk about. So he says, you know, how long are you going to be out here? And I told him we were out there another three or four days. And he said, well, why don't you come visit me? My condo's right over there. So I ran back to the, to the room. And Angela's still asleep. And I, I woke her up and I, I stuck my hand out at her. I said, honey, you might want to touch this hand. And she goes, ooh, why? And I said, well, it just touched the hand of Dr. Wayne Dyer. <laughs> well, <laughs> this miraculous recovery occurs. Makeup is being applied. And we're out on the beach trying to find Wayne, as she calls him. <clears throat> so we ultimately... Uh, bumped into him again and had dinner with him and became very good friends. Little did I know that that not so fortuitous uh, crossing of our paths was setting the stage for me for something that was going to happen a decade later. Uh, and so it was very purposeful that, um, that Wayne's path and my path crossed. And uh, God love him. We, you know, we've become very close friends and he's had me speak at uh, three or four of his events and wrote a beautiful forward in my book, No Storm Lasts Forever. And uh, actually the book was, was Wayne's idea. And really? It was. We were supposed to have gone on a family trip with his family. Um, and that was planned the middle of July of the same year that Tyler, our son, was injured. And he called God love him every day. 
every day he called. And one of the things that he suggested to me was that I journal. And I had never done anything like that, never kept a diary, and, and I really had never done any writing. So I started kind of keeping this journal, and after a while I showed it to a couple of my closest friends, and they said, you know, you, you can't keep this to yourself. You've got to share this. And uh, it ultimately became uh, No Storm Lasts Forever, and uh, it was very therapeutic for me in writing it, and um, it's it's touched the lives of of a number of people so oh yeah it is wonderful you know it's it's like i i i am so captured by your voice it's hard for me to to even break through and ask you a question because it's like wow you're you're so similar to dr dyer in that you're just riveted by what you're speaking. It's like you can feel the vibration of you. It's just really incredible. But I do want to go back and ask you, well, why do you call yourself the wounded healer? Well, you know, I, I used to think that I had a lot to say until I experienced this um, accident of my son. The, the wounded healers, uh, uh, several people started calling me that. And, and I have to admit, I felt a little uncomfortable about that. Um, when I first graduated medical school, my, my wife crafted me this um, embroidery. Um, and I'm going to botch the, the exact same, but it went something like, treat each of your pa patients as a loved one. Mm. feel as pain as loneliness as fear mm. you will suspect everything and miss nothing like it or not you will be loved as you love and I kept that in my office and every morning when I would leave the office to go into the hospital I would read that when the first few people started referring to me as the wounded healer um, there was um, a centaur his name was Kiran and it turned out he ended up getting uh, wounded by an arrow that had been dipped in Hydra's blood, and he became very ill. And what happened as a result of that, this anguish set him out on a journey of discovery, trying to find his own cure. And along the way, he discovered how to heal others. And he found that by teaching others the art of healing, he himself found this haven of healing for himself. Huh. He... he found that surviving the personal pain and turmoil of, of such challenging sufferings enhanced his healing skills. Really? Yes. And enduring that type of pain teaches all of us how to help others. And, and we really can't, you know, you can sympathize with others. You really can't empathize with others unless you've actually experienced, experienced the pain. And I'm very close to that right now. I mean, I, we've been home since Tyler's accident for uh, coming up on six years. I still can't imagine what it's like for my son. Mm. And I'm with him every day, day in and day out, interacting with him all the time. I still can't imagine what he goes through. Not being able to pick up something that he wants to pick up or something that he's dropped. And, and I think it's, again, through experiencing your own pain that you can better empathize mm -hmm. with those who are in pain. So, you know, when I first started medicine out, you know, when I first started in my, in my practice, you know, I, I, I wanted to become emotionally involved. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I can't be objective. I can't be the best doctor, physician, unless I am objective. In other words, I, I, what's the word I'm not dehumanize it, but I, I take away the person that, that I'm dealing with. I, I objectivize that person. Mm -hmm. And then I realized what I was missing by taking that sort of attitude. And I opened up my heart to my patients. And it was just so much better. I was a better physician and, and the love that, that I shared with my patients just became so, so enhanced. 
So you were healing them through your own love as well as healing yourself. Exactly. Wow, very powerful. So tell us about your son today. Well, uh, like I said, we're uh, five and a half, almost six years into this. Um, He uh, physically uh, is not doing that well. Uh, Spiritually, he's doing very well. Um, I, um, from the beginning, my prayer for Tyler was not that he would walk again. I didn't have the audacity to tell God what I thought healing should be. Mm-hmm. My prayer for Tyler was that he would heal. And I'm seeing that. It's taken a long time, you know, uh, and, and people go through this experience at a different pace, depending on where they are when, and what their experiences have been when something of this magnitude happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler, uh, very early on was very angry and understandably, I mean, he was just turning 21. He was ripped. I mean, this kid had muscles where I'd forgotten muscles existed. He was a phenomenal guitarist, worked on cars, loved snowboarding and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and everything that defined who he was left, it was gone in a, in a split second. So he was, he was very angry, uh, to begin with. And so, again, my prayer all along has been for healing. About, oh, probably two months ago, he, um, he has these involuntary spasms where he actually jerks himself up into um, almost a fetal position, involuntarily. And, and there have been a couple of times where he's actually jerked himself out of bed. And, and one night he called out and I went running in there and he was halfway out of bed and I, you know, I got him back in bed and you know, got him situated and calmed down. And, you know, it's like three thirty, four o'clock and we just started shooting the bull, you know. And he asked me this question, Jules, and it was so poignant. You know, he said, you know, Dad, if you could be anybody else and you could move anywhere else in the world and nobody would know you made that choice, who would you want to be and where would you want to go? And I shared with him that about a month before that, I had had that thought. You know, my mother, uh, God love her, is is, uh, experiencing pretty significant dementia, but she understands what we're going through. And she always asked me, you know, son, don't you just feel like running away from home? And there was a time, I don't know, three, four months ago where I felt like Davy Crockett at the Alamo, you know, there was nobody watching my back. And I just kind of thought, God, I just want to run away from home. And then I started thinking, you know, just a mind game, where would I want to go and who would I want to be there with? And I thought, you know, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And I wouldn't want to be with anybody else. And I told Tyler that. And he said, you know, Dad, I feel the same way. Wow. Which was huge, Jules. I mean, it just, to me, you know, the prayer that I've been praying all these years that he would heal were just answered. Mm. So he's, he's coming around. He's coming around. Uh, again, physically, he's not doing so hot. But... Um, my gosh, he has grown in ways hmm, never imagined, and I'm sure he never imagined. So he has released the anger, and he's just okay with where he is today. That is true. Wow. Thank goodness he has you. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know that he would have shared that same sentiment up until recently, but he feels that way now. That's all that counts. <laughs> wow. Well, Tell us about what suggestion would you give to somebody that's had a life-altering experience? What what would you suggest? Just getting and accepting as fast as you can or getting to the place that you understand that this may have been a life's journey that you were supposed to be on? Well, you know, everybody is different, first of all, and everybody comes from a different place. So I, I don't know that there is a template for everyone to use. All I can share is is my journey. Um, and, and that has been one that you know, I didn't realize it, but I was being prepared for. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think most of us, you know, we busy ourselves, we busy our lives away. We work, 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 and then we 
whatever it is that we occupy our time with. You know, right right after um, I retired, I, I actually uh, had fallen off of the ladder out here at the farm and, and hurt my head and neck and had to retire. And, um, I remember one, and, and Angela you know, has post-herpetic neuropathy, so she's in pain all the time. So she's up all night in pain and then sleeps during the day. And, you know, we were like shipped passing in the night. And I remember one morning, you know, I was up and I was walking around the house and I'm thinking, gosh, this isn't what I thought retirement was going to be. And then it hit me. I was given exactly what I needed. Quiet time, contemplative time. I never had that. I never took the time to contemplate much of anything. I just work, 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 work. And then when I was at home, I work, 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 work. And then I got up the next morning, went back to work. And I think most of us tend to do that, especially physicians, where we don't really contemplate mm. what it is we're here for. What's our purpose? And I think once you do that, once you go within and, and, and get, catch glimpses of what that purpose is, it becomes obvious, at least it was for me, that people like Wayne and others were being placed in my path at just the right moment. Mm -hmm. Just the right moment. In, in my book, I, um, um, I quoted lyrics from um, a song by Kenny Loggins. You remember him? Yes. Oh, uh, yes. I, I mean, if I could be anybody else in the world, it would be Kenny Loggins. <laughs> I'm not. So, you know, I had already chosen these words, and, and, and they, 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 there was a song on his album, Back to Pooh's Corner called Cody song. And, and the lyrics went something like, when you feel afraid, when you lose your way, don't worry, I'll be there to sing to you. And from the moment I heard about Tyler's accident, that song just kept scrolling in my mind. So I use that at the beginning of the book and it's also at the end of the book, but I hadn't gotten around to asking permission to use the lyrics yet. And I was in Lake Charles, Louisiana, visiting my mother and it was not a real fun trip. The purpose of the trip was for me to take her car away from her. So she was not a very happy person. And when I got ready to leave, I leaned over and kissed her goodbye and said, I love you. And she said, well, I don't love you and I never want to see you again. So that's how I left my mother. So I go out to this little podunk airport in Lake Charles and uh, to find that my flight has been canceled, not delayed, canceled. Well, I'm not going back to mom's apartment. So they're going to find me a flight before I leave that place, you know. So a couple, three hours later, they find us a flight. We're getting ready to board. And this guy behind me says, man, I sure hope this doesn't screw up our connecting flights out of Houston. And I turned around to say, well, maybe they're delayed in Houston, too. And I looked at him. I said, man, you look an awful lot like Kenny Loggins. He goes, hi. It's <laughs> a true story, Jewel. Now, people just kind of. I mean, you know, I told him what I was doing and I asked him, you know, he said, well, tell me about your son. And I did. And I said, would you write an endorsement for my book as well as approve me to use your lyrics? He said, absolutely. So <laughs> beautiful endorsement. So the point I'm trying to make is not that I'm special because I am not. Everybody has this within them, this magic. You know, it's the real magic that Wayne talks about. We all have it. It's just a matter of being cognizant of it. It's a matter of being aware of the possibilities, you know? So, wow. so I, going back to your original question, I, I think, you know, it, 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 it depends on, on where you are spiritually. And you may never get there during this incarnation. But um, if, you, if you look hard, you'll see where preparatory things have happened in your life that get you to where you are right now. And they continue to do so. So you also developed cancer. I did, didn't I? You know, this was like a, a year into uh, our experience, and it was just terrible here. I mean, we were like in this boat paddling in different directions. And uh, and my father had prostate cancer, and so I, I was always very vigilant with my PSA, the test that they do for prostate cancer. And it was still normal, but it was rising but still within the normal range. And so I went to the urologist and he said, well, you know, come back in a year and we can take another look and see if, you know, another blood test. And she said, you know, I think I want a biopsy. And he took this biopsy and I didn't think I was going to have it. And he didn't think I was going to have it. And he calls me one day and he said, Terry, I don't believe it. It came back positive. And, you know, 
how you think you're going to respond when you get that diagnosis. I didn't. I didn't. And, 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 and I'm not, this isn't bravado. I remember thinking, feeling like a little boy who'd gotten caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what that means. You know, I knew that the toxicity, the negative energy that I was absorbing was going to do something. It was going to end up being manifest somehow. And it came out manifest as prostate cancer. And I remember looking up as I was talking to the urologist, looking up towards the sky saying, okay, God, if you think despite what I've got on my plate right now, I can handle this, I will. And I was never one, Jules, to, to believe that, you know, God, God doesn't give you more than you can carry. I, I just never embraced that until then. <laughs> and now, you know, it, I, it, it was another gift. It was another gift to prove to me that I could do it. With God by my side, I could do it. And, you know, there have been other storms in our lives since, um, since Tyler's injury and my prostate cancer. And each time one of those comes, people say, Terry, God, how are you doing this? And my answer to them is, I thank God for the gift. So it's, it's, it's you know, Wayne often says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah. I did that. I really did. Rather than saying, why me? I said, why not me? Thanks. I can handle this. I can do it. I can do it. And so and if, what is the outcome of the cancer? Well, I went up to the Cleveland Clinic and had that robotic surgery. Uh-huh. Not something I didn't enjoy doing again, but um, you know, it, it was all clean and you know, you're fine. I'm I'm fine and going to be fine and I try to stay away from that toxic energy and uh, and you know, the only way you can do that is when you're immersed in it. So, you know, every time those sorts of things happen to you. Um, look for the lessons deep within. So when you're in that toxic situation, do you recognize it fast and then take the steps such as journaling to move yourself out of it? I use meditation. Ah. Yes. I, I took that patient's uh, advice, uh, the one that was in the hospital, and I started mm -hmm. Uh, meditating and, 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 you know, there's so many different ways to meditate. I mean, I, I, I do basically transcendental meditation, but I also found that, you know, when I was in the hospital, say, and it got very, very stressful there, most of the time I could go off into the bathroom for two minutes and get into a meditation for two minutes only that would change my outlook on everything and the rest of the day. Interesting. And so I, what I've, I've, found is I can meditate while talking to you. I can, and, and still have a good conversation. It may not seem that way on your side of the conversation, but I think I'm having a great conversation. But what I'm saying is that you can meditate anywhere, anytime. You don't need to be seated in the lotus position. You don't need to be in the synagogue or the chapel or the church. Or the, you can do it outside. I do. I love to do that when I'm just out walking in nature. And nature has been a godsend to me. I've learned so much from nature in, in this. Uh, I, I have to agree with you because I feel like I've been meditating just listening to you. There is something tremendous about you and your energy level. It's like, wow, very, very powerful. Uh, really, I have to say that you are the first person that I've ever experienced with. And I've been doing these interviews for eight years and it's like, wow. This is amazing. Whatever you have done, sir, you have done correctly because you are teaching us right now a very, very important lesson. And wow, you have really served the world. Well, you know, I always thought my dharma, my purpose, was to be a cardiologist. And my whole life from age seven was directed toward being a cardiologist. I lived and breathed it and the training and all of that. And then when I had to retire, I was at a place where I knew this was not the end. This was just the beginning. And, and I really walked away from the practice without ever, ever looking back, even let my license expire because I knew that part of my life was done. 
And I, I, I realized that my purpose wasn't to be a cardiologist. My purpose at that point in time was to save the lives of children. And I had to be a cardiologist in order to do that. So that became my purpose. And then once I completed that, I realized that my purpose is still to heal hearts. It's just yeah. in a different way. And perhaps, not perhaps, I think in a much more meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're as physicians, we're trained to cure, cure people. That's not what it's like. That's not what it's about. It's about healing. And healing doesn't occur in the physical plane. So it doesn't matter what you get. We're all going to get something. It's what we do with it. It's what we do with it to heal our souls, our spirits. Healing doesn't occur on the physical plane. No, ma'am. Wow. does not. Now, most of us egotistical doctors think it does. You know, I came out of the world-famous Cleveland Clinic, and I Mm -hmm. felt like I could do just about anything. I could save just about anybody. Wrong. You know, inside each of us, there are two selves, okay? One self is the self that is this ego encapsulated in skin housed in this vessel we call a body. It's, it's temporary, it's mortal, uh, it's fractured, uh, it's so fragile that it can be irreversibly altered by disease, by injury, and even by our thoughts. That's the one self. The other self is the authentic self. It's the real self. It's the spiritual self. It's the immortal self. It's the self that resides on a much higher plane. And what I have been able to do, and I can't tell you how I do this, but I've been able to transcend above the physical plane to this place of higher consciousness where I become a passive observer. No, no judgment, no interference, no agenda on my part. It's just passive observation. And what I'm able to do when I'm in that place is I can watch my son as he's going through this experience. Not, not as a father, because in the physical plane, as a father, I ache for right. the ocean of suffering he's endured. But, but in this other place, I'm not the father. I'm just a silent, passive observer. So I can watch and I can see where he's going. And I can watch my wife as she's going through this and my children. And the strangest thing, Jewel, is I can watch myself as I'm going through this in, on the physical plane. But in, from a, this place of higher awareness. And, and I think what's going to happen one of these days is that I'll be in that place of higher awareness as I watch myself die. Wow. Because we know that spirit lasts forever. It's, it's there forever. Energy, Absolutely. Energy doesn't die. It changes. And it lasts forever. So this energetic place of higher awareness is there forever and always has been forever. Wow. Wow, that's so profound. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I mean, I'm speechless. (laughs) Well, and and you know, that's not to minimize what life is about. It's a a critical thing that we have to do, uh, being incarnated. You know, know, we, we, I believe, you know, we come back until we get it right and, and learn our lessons. And if we don't learn our lesson in one life, we're going to get to come back and experience it again. That doesn't necessarily mean... On this earth, it may be. I don't know that. But but the energy, knowing that the energy doesn't die, is comforting. So it, this is coming from a cardiologist, a science-backed person, mm-hmm. educated that there is reincarnation. I understand that you offer a free daily affirmation and monthly newsletter. Yes, yes. If you go to my website, uh, drterrygordon.com, and that's just D-R, no period behind it, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N, 
Facebook.com. And uh, I'm also on, of course, you know, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And Will you please come back onto my show and share again with our listeners? I would love to. I'd love to. Oh. Thanks for having me, Jules. You are fabulous. Thank you so much for being truly a blessing to this world. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great show from Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to jules at loaradionetwork.com and have a great week.